Welcome back to the Daz and Daz podcast. We're going to talk about the Eastern Conference first round now and uh, preview the second round of the Eastern Conference. And uh, Daz, you touched on it earlier uh, about nothing sort of surprised you in round one, but also nothing gave any indication that the Cleveland are in any danger of a repeat trip to the NBA Finals um, from what we saw in the first round. I guess... guess Maybe Celtics fans would, would say, well, hang on, we're on a little bit of a run there. We've won five straight. Uh, but uh, I, I sort of agree with you. I, I think from what we saw from Cleveland, apart from the fact that their defence is still terrible, um, I didn't sort of see anything from other the, the so-called contenders to make me think um, that they might be in any trouble. And let's maybe start with that series. Uh, did you catch much of the, the Cavs-Pacers series? Uh, it was a really... A bad series from Paul George and the Pacers, uh, in many ways. Um, but what did you sort of? What were your takeaways from that series? Well, my takeaways is that Indiana could have won just about every single game, right? The the closest, the biggest deficit was a six point game, so it was one that's point, right. one six five and four, right? Was yep, the that's great. Was the point differentials in, in the games? But uh, I think we would have hinted at it before. In the recorded podcast that got that got lost was the I was breathing fire after game one about Paul George throwing CJ Miles under the bus um, and then having the audacity to come back in um, in game two and you know shoot air balls and bricks in, in the fourth quarter and and they couldn't close that game out either uh, and now we fast forward and they got swept and I'm really going to be interested to hear what happened about why why Larry Bird stepped down when he stepped down. Mm. I know he'd been hinted at some time, handing over the reins to, it's Kevin Pritchard, isn't it? The old the old Blazers GM, I think, is going to take over, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I haven't read anything about that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen. So very quickly, right, this team went from, and Paul George does battle LeBron. He does. He He physically stands up to him but just couldn't deliver in crunch time. And then his lack of leadership was embarrassing. So Russ embarrassed himself with his performance. Paul George embarrassed himself with his petulance um, and his sapping his teammates of confidence. When you say shit like that after game one, you know, I need to have the booty ball when CJ Miles missed a, a nice open 18 footer that could have won the game, right? It wasn't a crazy shot. It's not like C.J. Miles was ball hogging for the entire possession. They ran the play and he was open. And so to throw a player under the bus like that and try to alpha male and beat your chest about how you're the man, well, you better fucking deliver then. And he couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't in game two. He couldn't in game three. He couldn't in game four. Um, and so I'm furious with Paul George, angry with the whole Indiana Pacers organization because he go um, – Cleveland did just, just enough to win. Um, and I think, so on the Indiana side, train wreck, um, turning into a greater train wreck. And as I learned my favorite phrase in Australia, a hospital pass thrown by Larry Bird into Pritchard <laughs> to go, hey, good luck with the Paul George thing, mate. He's got one year left on his contract. He hates everyone, hates everything, and in some ways sabotaged you know, sabotage their season with his just horrible leadership. Good luck to you. 
On the other side, Cleveland, you know, I saw Kevin Love look like he was going to cry here. I saw, <laughs> I saw that Kevin. The hey guys, can, what you talking about? I saw that. I saw that Kevin Love, where you know Kyrie and LeBron are are huddling, and Jr. is over there, and you know I'm bringing them, you know, bags of food, and Kevin's like, hey guys, what you doing? You know, so he got kind of diminished for part of the series, but then also he played quite well in other parts, and I don't know what to make of Cleveland, other than they swept. LeBron is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> he played. Yeah, but LeBron shot. Uh, this is the only thing that jumped there to me. And I was just looking at LeBron's figures, and I thought, gee, we just take for granted his greatness. I mean, he puts up thirty-two, nine and nine, almost a triple double, three steals and two blocks a game. But he did something that just jumped there to me. He did shoot twenty-two of thirty-eight from the three-throw line. So that's something that might. And and his three-throw stroke has come and gone over his career. So that might be something that's a little bit of a concern mm. for Tyloo heading into round two. Did he pull a Giannis? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, so I'm 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 of the that is uh, your nitpicking of the nitpicking right to go. He was 54, 45, you know, fifty four percent from the field, forty five percent from three, ten rebounds, nine assists, two blocks, three steals, thirty three points in forty four minutes a game. How many miles does he have on his? superhuman legs and he's playing 44 minutes a game so for as much as we talk about how gassed the clippers were mm. and stuff like that i go i we have to almost have this as our, our audio history at age 32 here he is again lebron in a season when the Cavs have not played well for about three months he shows up in the playoffs and, and plays 44 minutes a game and does enough to beat another team who had chances to win every game so this series for me was all about LeBron getting his mojo back. It's all about LeBron trying to rally his boys, right? LeBron, he leads his team in a way that Paul George couldn't. And so some Kyrie shot was broken, right? In game, I think it was game three, Kyrie couldn't throw it in the ocean. He was like, yeah, four for 17. He was awful. Four assists, three turnovers, he's awful. He doesn't ever defend. And guess what? So LeBron's like, I, he'll score 41 and grab 13 rebounds and have 12 assists, right? He'll have a triple-double worth talking about, you know, going 14 for 27 for the field. Mm. And that was a game that Kyle Korver drops three, three, you know, four threes. So what I saw to some is LeBron being LeBron. They got a bit of their mojo back. And unlike the Clippers, right, at least Cleveland has – a D-Will, a C-Fry, a K-Corver. Um, occasionally, Shumpert will come and play a, a bit of a 3-and-D game. Uh, old Wiley, Richard Jefferson, they have enough, right? They have plenty, I think, to get through the Eastern Conference and know their defense isn't playing defense. But when LeBron plays like this, he can elevate everybody. Well, that's the only thing where I was thinking that the LeBron three-track percentage might relevant because their defense is so bad they're going to be in close games and that's obviously when little things like that and we saw it with the Bucks sadly in game uh, six of their series which we'll get to where those sort of fine margins can be the difference between winning and losing so I, I just think it's an eyebrow raised if, if he's losing that if he's not shooting well at the line that could be something that come back and bites them but they didn't keep Indiana under the lowest score Indiana had in the series was 102 points. Uh, most times they were pushing 110 and over that. 
So that's and then this is not a good offensive team in Indiana. So that would be a worry as well for them going forward. And just on the Paul George thing, I mean, what we said at the last podcast about that game one situation was he had the ball and gave it to CJ Miles. So if you want the ball so much, keep the ball. Don't give it up. I understand he was double teamed at the time, but still, if you think you're such a great superstar, why don't you put the ball on the floor yourself and uh, take it to the hole or do whatever? So, you know, I thought it was a pretty poor response. And then what was most astounding to me, I think, in this series was the the game three when Indiana blew the 26-point lead. And you'd think they would have been devastated. Look, that was their season over. And... I sort of saw some of the aftermatch interviews and they looked like they could not have cared less. They were almost relieved that it was one game less that they had to play before. It was almost like when, when Houston hit that game-winning shot to beat the Warriors for one game last series and all the bench was sort of hanging their heads because they, they were already halfway out the door on holidays. Um, Indiana just did not care when they lost that, that game through. That's, that's certainly how it came across to me. And they didn't show. They didn't have any belief, and I think that was the the thing that Charles Barkley pointed out. He said, "This is not a team that believes they can beat Cleveland, and that's going to be the key, I think, for the Raptors in the next round. Do they truly believe? Like it's one thing to come out like Dame Lillard did and say, oh, we 'Oh, we're going to win four two, or like you know Brandon Jennings did for the Bucks when they played the the Heat a few years ago in the first round, and say so we're going to win four two. Um, you've got to have that belief and I don't think the Pacers did in this series I think it came through in that game when they just blew that big lead and then sort of shrugged their shoulders and thought well we weren't good enough to beat these guys anyway so it would have been 4-1 instead of 4-0 and then they went away um, although, that's what I mean that's what I mean by Paul George leadership <laughs> is when you have adversity like that and the, a 25 point lead turns to you know turns to 15 how how do your leaders lead and how do they find a way through it? And that's what I probably felt is not that they didn't care, but almost a sense of the inevitability that when they turn to their leader and he's not able to elevate them or do something special or help make others great around him. That's why, that's what's, that's why Paul George is a really nice player, but he's not, he's not, you know, he's not even second team NBA caliber anymore. No. Um, and that's and probably he, a better point to say that they, they lack belief. It wasn't so much that they didn't care. It was that they yeah. lacked belief. That's it. That's it. Um, well, I, I'd love to see him go to the Lakers because he'd fit right in there and just keep them just about the sort of eight, nine <laughs> seed where they, they should yeah. stay. Yeah, 34 wins every yeah, year. That's yeah. it. So it, um, if, we had a, if we had longer, we'd talk about Lance Stevenson, who probably was the most valuable pacer in the whole series. And that's not even a lie. So the bits I saw, I mean, he shot the ball well, good shot selection. Well, you know, he played tough. You know, he's a capable rebounder. Um, you know, he moved the ball. He's, you know, turnovers. I don't, I don't remember ever being sloppy and having a loose handle. It's like, how on earth they've, you know, how has Lance done this? What, what is in the water in Indiana that he turns into this proper professional NBA player? But no word of a lie, he was the most steady, steady influence in that series for Indiana. Yeah, no, I agree with that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a three-year contract. I still can't get my head around that just out of the blue they signed in the three years. But look, they must know. Uh, he, he likes to be in Indiana, so maybe Something. a yeah. player to watch 
again for next year. Let's let's go to the other series on that side, that part of the Eastern Conference draw, um, the Toronto Raptors and the Milwaukee Bucks, and we we spent a lot of time, which is unusual for us, about on the Bucks last week. But I sort of said to you about Game One, and it was really even more apparent in Game Three. It was a blueprint game, and this was a, in a in a sense a blueprint series for the Bucks, just to sort of get a glimpse. This is the way Jason Kidd wants them to play um, going forward, particularly on the defensive end. You know, length at every position, guys able to switch. And it looked at times like Toronto just were not going to get a shot off. And they certainly didn't get open looks in either game three or for the second half of game one. So I think Kidd certainly comes out of this with something to build on. Um, I think the big question for Milwaukee is, and I, and I pose this to you during the week, is Jason Kidd, is he there, Mark Jackson? I mean, is he the guy that's going to take them to the playoffs and maybe take them to the second round next year? But is he going to be good enough as a coach to take them to that next level um, of the NBA Finals? Because this is a team, to me, that is on that sort of trajectory. Um, and I think there's real relevance with the Mark Jackson um, comparison because this is a team that's really doing a lot on the defensive end, but you just see holes and... and they struggle at times on the offensive end. And that was always the knock, as ridiculous as it is as on the Mark Jackson team when you got Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson on the floor together. But they just couldn't quite run offensive sets the way that they do now under Steve Kerr. And that was the main changes that Steve Kerr made when he went to the Warriors. So I guess my question to you is, overall takes of the series from the Bucks' point of view, and what are your sort of thoughts now on Jason Kidd and the next evolution of this team? going forward well from the bucks point of view with the um their track record of unbroken mediocrity from you know pretty much the big three era when you know grundle fuck gave away ray allen for nothing um this was the most emboldening this changed the relationship between the fan the fans and the team and in specifically the comeback in game six that fell just short that was I literally have never been more literally not even in fear of the deer um, era, which we always sort of knew was borrowed time, but that 34 to seven run to come down, come back from 25 down in game six at home was literally tears in my eyes, excitement jumping out of my chair. So from a Milwaukee perspective, um, the fan base is galvanized now, which is great for the team, right? That means money and funds and, and excitement. On um, From an on-court perspective, Giannis answered any question about, okay, he's taken this big leap from, you know, interesting while wow, he's running the team in garbage time last year, you know, um, for the last 30 games. And now he makes an all-star team. But the question is, well, how is he going to be able to play you know, when real playoff basketball starts? And he was by far the best player in the series. And that includes DeMar DeRozan, mm. who had some crazy offensive games doing DeMar stuff, right? Um, Giannis was beyond sensational, aside from his wobbly legs and utter exhaustion um, with the free throws in game six. So we've got um, expectations are going to rise. And that means a whole, a whole new way of looking at the offseason now in a new light, less about what the Bucks tried to do last year was try to go, oh, we don't know what Giannis is yet. 
or what he'll become, and we don't know what Jabari is. So let's lock ourselves into some solid vets for the long term to sort of stabilize this team with Toledovic and Delhi and Henson and so forth. Now we've seen the meteoric rise of, of Giannis, and right, the two point number two was Thon and Brogdon. Brogdon didn't have the best series, um, but our rookies held up, right? Hmm. So we've got when rookies can hold up like that, they were the first team since. Oh, I gotta get I gotta get my stat out. They're the first team in a long time to start two rookies in a playoff game with Thon and Brogdon. Um, it's about five or six years since that happened. So. And they weren't just starting him either. They were playing him in crunch time as well during that series. So it wasn't like some of the games in the regular season where they start yeah. for five minutes and bench him. I mean, he was playing significant minutes in this series and yep. didn't look out of place. I mean, Brogdon, I don't know if there was a bit of tiredness there in him as well. First full season in the NBA, it's probably to be expected for a rookie um, that he sort of slowed down a little bit. And I thought at the end of the day, to me, the Bucks just asked for a little bit too much from Giannis at this point in his in his uh, career, if you like. Um, maybe in a couple of seasons, he will be able to even take on that sort of workload um, that they're asking him to do in this series. But it was probably not just a little bit too early he, in his career to take on that much. Well, and um, yeah, and I don't know if it's... Um, let's not mistake them asking him to when... And Giannis just rising to the moment. That's what I mean by leaders leading. You don't need to be coached to do this stuff, right? Paul George shouldn't need to be coached to go, hey, Paul, how about boost your teammates up, right? Giannis didn't need to be coached to play, you know, 46 minutes and rally them from 25 down in game six. They could have easily folded their tent, easily, and he rallied them around it, right? So that's what I think is... And he he wasn't asked to do too much. He created the space for himself to take on more and to do more. And that's what made it so that's what makes it so exciting. Right. To have him be 22 years old and to do this sort of stuff. So it's the most when you stop and think to go, gosh, if one of those three pointers dropped in game two, the Bucks could have been up three nil. And gosh, if a few free throws would have gone in game six. You know, we could have gone to game seven. They are literally, they were two or three possessions away, you know, from winning the series or at least putting it to game seven. So on your really hard question, though, I don't think any of Bucksland is asking that question yet because we're still kind of coming to grips with what happened and just what do we have with Giannis on is Jason Kidd the right, the right coach? Nobody, and I mean none of Bucks Nation saw coming what he pulled from that team in the playoffs i don't know i don't know i have no idea literally have no explanation for how they go from kind of a flat final two weeks of the season to suddenly borderline dominating now on the toronto side the entire series is why i don't like their future they were rattled they were whinging they were pointing fingers at each other they were throwing the ball away they were doing anti-Toronto things, right? Uh, Kyle Lowry looks fat and slow and shooting 31-footers. DeRozan's DeRozan. He's exactly what he is. Um, but Jonas Valanciunas couldn't dominate the way he should have dominated Thon and dominated Monroe. He couldn't. They looked whingy, no joy, like they should have won. They got punched in the face. 
and they only just won because of some missed free throws, right, and a missed three-pointer. So that was an attrition series, and I saw nothing from Toronto to tell me they're ready to go and punch a team like Cleveland in the mouth. So it's a I found that really interesting that Surge had moments. Um, Tucker had moments. Patterson had moments of hitting threes. They all had their moments, but man, the Bucks actually kind of dictated the tempo minus the, what was it? Game, game two was a bit of a blowout. Um, game two or game four. One of them was game a blowout. Four. Sorry. Game, game four, four was, was a blowout, but the Bucks dictated tempo in five of the six games yeah. and only because of DeRozan's shot making um, and their veteran, their veteran sort of savvy. You and I tweeted offline. I go, the Bucks still don't know how to win a game where Toronto turned into a wrestling match. And when the referees let the physical play be physical, it got to the Bucks sometimes. Greg Monroe got so frustrated. Jason Kidd had to yank him and put him on the bench after six minutes mm. and put in fucking John Henson in game six because Monroe was so frustrated with he's getting he's getting battered around and not getting any calls. And so there were moments when the physical play and the referees, because I don't like how they fucking change refereeing. I hate that. Well, it's different in the, in the postseason, not the regular season. Like why it suddenly has a different set of rules. But that's what veteran teams do. That's what in Tor- Toronto did. Toronto did just enough not to lose. They didn't seize any of these games. They didn't grab any of these games. They didn't They didn't take the bucks and chokehold them and say, we're a dominant team. They only just survived the other team who was taking it to him. So maybe that says more about the Bucks. Maybe not giving them enough credit. Maybe that's galvanized and going to strengthen Toronto. But I didn't like Toronto's body language. I didn't like their shot selection. I didn't like their execution. Um, I didn't like they had no answer for Giannis. Um, they didn't trap him nearly quickly enough. They didn't have any double teams coming at him. They just didn't – I didn't see them coaching or executing. And that's my worry for them. And maybe they know exactly what to get with – Cleveland and they had no idea what was going to hit him with Giannis but um I'm I'm yeah Toronto only just survived Daz yeah I, I thought a couple of things on Toronto I thought firstly with Larry I think he just came back too early I think he was thinking and sometimes you get this thought in your mind maybe and maybe even as an organization they thought let's just try and get him back uh x amount of games before the play so we get some games into him but he wasn't in game shape when he came in, and he, it's hard to sort of play yourself into shape, especially at the late in the season. And he just doesn't look like he's got his legs under him at the moment. So he's jacking up shots. Uh, I think Milwaukee got well, in their heads can I just, a bit. Can I, just, can I just add on that piece? I go, um, you're giving him too much credit about just saying it's about coming back early. What injury did he have? He hurt his wrist. Oh, exactly. So he's probably why? been sitting there living it up. You know, but, Kyle Lowry. But why is he a fetzo? Mm. He's a doughboy. He looked terrible. He had no lift. Um, Brogdon was all over him. Delhi was even worse on him. That's what Delhi was getting under their skin. Oh, I, that's what I forgot to mention, I, especially here recording in, in Sydney. I've been bagging on Delhi for 82 games, right? <laughs> just being asked to do way too much. It's now all forgiven. Delavadova, and it wasn't all six games, but three or four of these six games, he was absolutely critical. And I'm that's no no word of a lie. He was fucking critical in game six. 
and just keeping on playing, even though they're down 20, he's still going to punch Norman Powell in the mouth and stand up to DeMar DeRozan. DeRozan just shoves him out of bounds. Delhi barks at him and gets right in his face. There's The Bucks don't have a guy like that. So now I saw in playoff basketball when the intensity is up and the pressure is on and every possession is more meaningful, he wasn't flat. He, he wasn't. He wasn't at all phased, and so I a massive. I'm taking off my literally taking off my hat and tipping it to Delhi to go. You know what? I will literally live with his physical deficiencies for 82 games if he's if he stays healthy to play playoff basketball. So absolute no word of a lie, Daz. I know you're not the biggest Delhi fan, but if you saw what I saw, was a guy who's, you know. Well, it's maybe like what Manu was like when Manu was 26 years old, right? Without all the skill <laughs> and shot-making ability <laughs> and savvy. Yeah, no, let's, let's not go there. Look, uh, but you know what I mean, right? This, this, that yeah. tough, no one is going to flap Delhi, And that was so critical against the mouthiness of, of DeRozan in particular. Oh, so, look, I gave Delhi a big rap in the last podcast, but uh, I don't intend to do it this one. So we'll move on um, and talk... <laughs> And talk about um, that's good. Delhi was the last word of the Bucks Toronto series. I won the Raptors, <laughs> the Raptors, Cavs. Oh, yeah. uh, no, I mean, all seriousness, Delhi, Delhi had some moments in that series, and I, I said uh, you can see where the experience came in. There was a moment in game one where they really needed the bucket, um, because Yarns got in foul trouble in that game. And I looked at the five out and thought, I can't see where a bucket's going to come from. And Delhi just sort of found his way to the free throw line. I think one shot and then hit, right. and hit an open three. And, and as you said, just the th- little things that Delhi does, the the setting of picks, like the the guy is just the most aggressive pick setter in the NBA. Um, and he, he was just you know doing that all those sort of little things all series. Um, that that helped the Bucks at different times. The final word I'll have in the Bucks is, is on the Jason Kidd point. I, they just seem to me to be a team that's figured out their identity on the defensive end, but I'm not sure if Kidd's going to be the right coach to help them figure out what they need to do on the offensive end. And that's the next question for this team because there's just too many times where they just get into a funk and it's like, let's get the ball to to Giannis and see what he can do or even Brogdon and, and how many how many possessions of the Bucks do you see where there's four seconds left on the shot clock and they're just trying to create something out of nothing um, so and, and the other thing about that series I think they knew a little bit more out of Chris Middleton than what they got um, 14 points a game is probably not getting it done for what they needed there um, but maybe that's a you know he's only 25 himself so it seems like he's been around longer than he has Middleton um, so you know maybe there's there's an area of improvement there you throw Jabari back into the mix who knows what time that'll be next year um, we'll sort of see where it goes from there um, but with the to look at the uh, Raptors Cavs series um, what's your predictions there I mean obviously Going into the playoffs, I would have given the Raps a really good chance, but um, maybe the first round, as you as you said yourself, maybe it was more about the Bucks. The Bucks seemed to sort of get in their heads defensively, and they they were sort of seeing shadows. Um, they were seeing guys. It reminded me a little bit about the Spurs and OKC last year, where the Spurs just were expecting OKC defenders to be there when they weren't there, um, and it was sort of it seemed to me to be the same with the Raptors and the Bucks in the first round. One thing for sure, Cavs aren't playing as intensive a defense as what the Bucks did. So this is going to be a different different series for them offensively. Um, 
you know, can they play well enough on the defensive end? I think it's going to be their question in this series to slow Cleveland down and keep Cleveland to around 100 points a game. It's an interesting question because for Toronto did see shadows and Thon was everywhere and Giannis was everywhere and Brogdon was everywhere and Delhi was everywhere and Snell still an unheralded 3 and D guy who just runs his ass off chasing DeRozan everywhere, um, switching it up. They played amazing defense. Um, so I wonder, is will Toronto be so relieved that they don't have any of that? Right, I go. Oh, uh, sorry, J.R. Smith and Kevin Love, are, you know, aren't gonna aren't gonna chase you around, and 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 Kyrie's not going to. That are they going to be so relieved that they're actually boosted by it and playing with confidence? Question. On the flip side, fuck, Lowry is a problem. Kyrie could go nuts, right? So I go. This is where I think Toronto's at risk because. If Kyrie starts finding his groove and Lowry telling you what Lowry's going to have to sit, man, they're going to have to play Powell and Joseph. Lowry's not ready. He's absolutely not ready for a, for a, for a Cavaliers series. I'm telling you. Mm. Um, so I actually think that boy, I've had to be a betting man. Um, perhaps again, I saw every minute of bucks Toronto. So it's probably bias around seeing it from Toronto's perspective, but um, I think Cleveland could run over Toronto if um, if their offense starts clicking. I don't... Yeah, because of Lowry. Lowry is not right. He is 60% of himself, and that is a bad percentage to be. So that's yeah. probably why I'd say Cleveland in, Cleveland in six. I think DeRozan and the Ibaka and the, the guys that play enough defense. Uh, oh, Cleveland in five. Cleveland in five. <laughs> okay, final yeah, answer, Cleveland in five. I think Larry will probably play a bit with Joseph and they might try and see if they can hide him somewhere yeah. on the defensive end. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right, though. I, I think it's Toronto, to me, need to steal one of those first two games in, in Cleveland. If they, if they go back to Toronto 2-0, it's going to be over in five. If they can somehow get back to Toronto 1-1, then we'll see what happens. Certainly, Cleveland need to improve on the defensive end. It is a step up from There's no doubt that there was a high-quality basketball played in the uh, Toronto-Milwaukee uh, series than what we saw in the Cavs-Indiana series. But it's just... Uh, I, I can't get my head around the Cavs at the moment. They just seem to play to the level of their opponents and uh, you know, quite often they'll pull it out of their backsides. You know where, the, where Toronto has a chance? is with their bench. I'm just thinking about Norman Powell played amazing, and the irony wasn't lost on Bucks Nation that we traded Norman Powell for mm. for the ghost of Grievous Vasquez. He stepped up, and the moment wasn't too big. I'd have to look at the stats, but I remember Patrick Patterson. He just he just makes shots, um, and Joseph is a is a nice second team runner. And if they have enough of Ibaka and DeRozan and um, even Big V, you know, Big V could cause some problems if they use him in the right way. You know, against Tristan, or right. Well, it was or, similar to what we said about Houston earlier. That different players stepped up at different times for Toronto. Yeah, and I thought it was a good sign that they did steady after going down two one. You know, Joseph hit a couple of big shots in Game Six to steady them after they lost the lead. Uh, Valentunas had some moments. Even Demari Carroll at times 
uh, had a couple of moments where he hit some shots. So, yeah, um, that's true. So Toronto's 10 times deeper than Cleveland, right? And then that's where maybe that's what I'm just thinking out loud, where I think Kyrie could absolutely dominate in this series. Um, but I think Toronto's bench is going to have an enormous advantage. So it's about, you know, can yeah. Cleveland's bench do enough? Um, I think the sorry. gap between Kyrie and LeBron is going to be so large between DeRozan and Kyrie and, and Larry yeah. that it's probably not going to matter. Um, so what do you th- what do you th- if I said Cleveland in five, maybe six? Were you were you saying the same thing? Cleveland I think- in five. Yeah, I think Cleveland five. I think Cleveland yeah. five. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested to say, I, I still give the Raptors a sort of fighting chance. I, I just wonder if that was just a, a bad matchup for them. And I think the Bucks are going to be would just a bad matchup for anyone when they're playing defense like that. Maybe that's that's going to steal them for a really nice. Uh, they might go, you know what, gee, we've got some space on the court now. <laughs> How nice is this? Um, you know, it's like sort of driving on a one-lane, well, one-lane road true. going to a six-lane highway. Um, they might, they might find their mojo offensively, but I, I think defensively, again, total opposite <clears throat> to Milwaukee, who are you know running a clogged toilet offense at times. Um, you've got Cleveland, who are going to be much more efficient on that end. So you know. Is their defense going to be able to hold up? I think Tucker Tucker's could be an important player in this series from that point of view. Ibaka's sort of come and gone at different times. Um, at times he's looked really good, and you can see the fit. And at other times you're sort of trying to work it out. Um, so I, I think there's some questions to be asked. I'm not. I'm saying Cleveland in five, but if if Toronto make a series out, of, I mean I'd be very surprised if Toronto win the series. But if it went seven. I wouldn't be completely shocked either. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I had something to add and I forgot. That's, I should have wrote it that. down. It's getting late. Well, look, um, so we'll move on. Shit, we'll move on sorry. to the next, the Hawks, Hawks Wizards. We won't spend too much time on this. This wasn't. No, we won't. This was a series that I said last. Well, I said, forget this series. It's going to be two-two going back to Washington, and then we'll, then we'll look at it. And that's exactly how it turned out. Um, Dwight Howard got benched to the surprise of no one. Who knows what you're going to do with Dwight now? It doesn't seem to fit in anywhere um, in the NBA. Despite still putting up good numbers, being a, a decent player, it's just like, where, where does he fit in today's NBA? Um, the Wizards ended up winning it you know, reasonably comfortably in the last two games. I thought, I mean, Atlanta made a bit of a game in game five, but uh, it was one of them series, I think, Similar to Spurs Grizzlies in the sense that you just never felt that the Wizards were in that much danger of dropping that that series. Maybe it would go to seven, but they'd work out a way of doing it. Credit to John Wall; he had a great series, um, particularly game six, which was the closeout game, forty-two points in that one. Just took over um, at different times. Uh, Atlanta, look, we'll talk a bit more about them, I guess in the off-season. Difficult to know where they're going to go from here. Um, <laughs> they sort of... Just a team without a... Uh, you know, I mean, Schroeder scored 24 points a game in this, this series, which was nice, and Mills had 24 points a game, and that was just a complete drop-off um, to the sort of next players. I did like Tareem Prince. I thought he had a really nice year. He scored 12 points a game. Oh, sorry, 11 points a game in this series. He had some nice moments. So that was a really good pick-up. Probably the biggest positive of the season for them. But uh, they're just a bit hamstrung going forward now with the Dwight contract. Um, Hardaway's a free agent in the off-season as well. I think Millsap's also <coughs> a free agent. 
So some question marks for them about where they go from here. Um, but uh, I don't know. Not not a lot to get excited about, I don't think, in Atlanta uh, from a basketball point of view. No. So my takeaway is this – it was actually this is pretty good quality basketball, to be honest, Daz, but it wasn't – there was nothing quite really compelling about this series, right? There wasn't no, you know, Steve Kerr getting hurt or Giannis renaissance or, uh, you know – Golden State playing beautifully. There was nothing quite compelling about it, but um, a couple things jumped out at me. On the Atlanta side, you, you hit on something where right? Dwight was benched in the last game, and then the exit interviews, he's complaining about not being used and questioning leadership and questioning the direction of the organization. Like, oh, <laughs> did we just rinse and repeat the track from Houston and from L.A. and from – I go, here he is having the exact same conversation as he's had every time he's played somewhere, right? Um, part of me says, well, what's so what's your take on this, right? Because I go, you can bet Atlanta didn't ever tell him, right, that, hey, you know what, in the playoffs, you know, we don't like your free throw shooting in your, your offensive game. So you have a feeling they sort of bait and switched him as well. So who, where do you side on this one? Right, you can you can sure as hell bet that Atlanta didn't, you know, um, either didn't forecast it or didn't come clean with about how they'd want to use him during the season, or is this all about is this all about Dwight being Dwight? Oh, look, my sort of take is I don't think I, I I'm still trying to scratch, scratching my head trying to work out why they signed him. Um, I, I sort of heard a few things where, well, they had money to, to use, they wanted to use it, and he was the best player available, and they thought they'll work it out later. But he just doesn't fit what Buds normally want to do. I don't think he was a Buds player, uh, quote-unquote. So I don't think there was ever any great confidence in him. And when it came down to must-win games, um, it was a, not a, at all a surprise to me that uh, he was going to sit. But I feel for Dwight in a sense because he was still putting up numbers. He didn't shoot terrible. I mean, he shot 63%, which for him is a fantastic number from the free throw line. So it certainly didn't didn't kill him. I mean, uh, Tim Hardaway shot the exact same percentage uh, for the series from the line. So um, it wasn't sort of that. I just I just think in today's NBA, it's hard to find a fit for him. Um, and he... You know, he just has no low post game, or whether they certainly don't give the ball to him in the post. Not the way they like to play again. So, um, I just think it was a bad fit from day I, one. I just don't understand why they don't do one five. They they never do a one five pick and roll. Like, why don't they ever bring him up and let him let him play that game? Now, I know he can't he can't pick and pop, right? So, I know he's got a one dimensional, you know, roll game to it, but. He, he averaged what there was one game he shot 14 times, but the other the other five games he shot six times, five times, four times, four times, and three times. He literally never touches the ball unless it's a putback. And I go, I'm kind. Of, that's why I kind of I'm kind of with Dwight on this side. Um, that being said, I go, they should have forecast that freaking Schroeder played a really good series. He played clean. He shot a good percentage. He hit his three pointers. He he didn't turn the ball over. He had for the series he averaged um, seven point seven assists and only one point seven turnovers. Yeah, forty six so anti- assists, ten turnovers. Yeah, the anti Harden, anti Westbrook. He played a mm. really, really, really clean series going against John Wall, who played an amazing series. So I go, if you got Schroeder playing 
on top of his game and Dwight doing nothing, right? That sort of tells me that um, maybe they just haven't, they haven't found a way to fit the pieces together yet. Um, the big question, right, of course, the giant question where I put them in a, a team at the massive inflection point and decision that can affect the next five years of the franchise is what do you do with Millsap, who is unrestricted? Do you cap yourselves out and try to, you know, quote unquote, win a championship with Schroeder, Howard, Millsap, or do you let Millsap walk? And and then what, right? What's your plan B? So really tough, really tough situation for Atlanta, I think, in this offseason. But yeah. if I had any if I had any one takeaway, Schroeder played awesome. You gotta give it to him, right? He played he played a fantastic series. Well, I think you make yeah, I mean he was the best point guard in the the first round. Uh, Minus from, John, course, John Wall. John Wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's was right. against him. So, second That's right. So, oh, well, I guess yeah. Steph Curry, maybe we're, we're missing him. Well, in, in the Eastern Conference, maybe. We're putting a number of caveats on. He played end. an awesome series. Let's put yeah, it that way. Yeah, a very right? good well, series. Yeah, it's not going to hot take territory. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know about Millsap. Unless you can say maybe Blake Griffin comes in and Millsap goes goes out. Um yeah, you, know, you, you replace him with someone, but I can't see Blake Griffin going to the Hawks. Um, I don't know why you do that. So, and I don't think Millsap will be back anyway. So, even if they wanted to sign him, I think Millsap. Will he go said he's opting out, so he's going to opt out. The question is, will they? I think he'll he obviously out. take meetings, and, and we'll see where he ends up. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think Miami could be an interesting player for Paul Millsap as well. I think they're going to be a, a very interesting team in free agency. Um, going forward. So uh, from the Washington point of view, we might, before we talk about their series against Boston, which started today, we'll quickly touch on the Bulls-Celtics series. Uh, when we last spoke, the, the Bulls took game one. Uh, I think my bold prediction was that the, the Celtics wouldn't lose another game in the series. They went out and got blown out in game two. And then uh, the, from then on, they didn't lose another game. But uh, to be fair, the Bulls the Bulls lost Rondo, which really hurt them. But a head-scratching series from the Bulls in terms of the players, the, the lineups they were using and where campaign was, no one seems to know. Um, they didn't really use anyone from the, the trade with OKC in the entire series, which again, to me, was really really strange um yeah morrow played played a little bit but not much um our campaign actually did get 4.2 minutes a game in the series uh in the in the one game he did play but uh, i read something like he was rolling out lineups in must win games or in game five um where or might have been game four the second game that in chicago and just Lineups that never played together all season. You know, he's playing Isaiah Cannon. He's playing. Uh, we well, didn't play Carter Williams that much actually. Uh, he played Jerry and Grant and, and Cannon more once uh, Rondo went down. He did Carter Williams or campaign. It just didn't seem to make much sense to me what they did. And this is a team that, to me, uh, is just in an absolute. Uh, it's a tie fire to my, to my mind heading into the next season. I'm not sure what you do. <laughs> with the Bulls. Well, who would have thought that a Rajon Rondo injury would have torpedoed their season because the Bulls dominated. There's those two, those first two games weren't close. They were not contested. No. I know Isaiah was going through his stuff, but those games were not close. And Rondo was fucking awesome. 
right? Mm. 11 points, 14 assists, 9 rebounds, 5 steals in Game 2, and it was a similar line, um, you know, in Game 1. He was freaking awesome. So I was kind of reveling, and I think you and I both were. I've been a little bit high on the Bulls, but I sort of thought this is a perfect team they can sneak into the playoffs. They've got they've got enough talent and enough, right? They've got the talent and the veteran set or savvy to fucking ignore Hoiberg and just go out and win ball games. Um, so I was feeling quite, um, I don't know. Dare you say it, bullish? Um, bullish? <laughs> I was feeling uh, de-bullish. And then Rondo goes and hurt himself. And then we had the Isaiah Kanan, as you yeah, the Isaiah Kanan sort of festival for games three through six. And it was a, it was over. Um, but this is, the, this is my theme for the Eastern conference. And yeah, Boston won the series, but were they the better team? Eh. You know, they, they played a team who lost literally their most important player. So I go, yeah, well done. Okay. I hate what happened to Al Horford. I hate what's happened. Maybe this is what Al Horford always was. He was just, quicker and leaner and got to his spots better and was better at attacking and could offensive rebound and could actually get in the way of a shot. But now we have Al Horford who just shoots jumpers and takes rebounds that fall to him. So I go, what? I don't understand how they spent $113 million on Al Horford. And I'm sorry, but at some point a guy who's five foot seven, the magic's going to come to the end sooner or later, right? Mm. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I just, I've seen nothing to believe in Boston as a playoff threat. Um, so I don't know what to make of this next series. Um, uh, Cause they can then go out and make 19, three pointers in, in game one against Washington. So they just sort of shot the ball like crazy. So I was ready for the bulls to kind of almost literally sweep Boston. Cause I thought Boston was going to be left for dead. I thought poor Isaiah, no pun intended, seriously. Hmm. Poor Isaiah had gone through that. They've been blown out twice at home. Confidence is shot. L. Horford's flapping around. Jalen Brown's not playing anything. Marcus Smart's being old, mouthing off. They just looked like a team that was being coached by Fred Hoiberg. And then Fred Hoiberg shows up. <laughs> and he's coming out and saying that stuff about Isaiah carrying the ball and turning it over and whinging about that and then basically doing a mic drop at his at his press conference and running back and I go what what bush league like if you're trying to get the referees to make a call talk to the referees mm. right so to come out and say oh they're not calling this and it's like that's just it looked like amateur hour Daz so the Bulls are starting to look a little bit like the Bears no I was like, going to say you want amateur right. hour you want to walk over the soldier field and have a soul then you'll see some real amateur stuff, but let's not go down that. Yeah. So look, this series, this series is all about, all about Rajon Rondo is nothing about Boston. They won because Chicago doesn't have a team and I Kane and MCW and you know, all the names Mm. played significant minutes. They're just a garbage fire in the backcourt and surprise, surprise, Boston's best players are in in the backcourt. So that series is over. I was a bit disappointed in a sense because I was going to make a bold prediction before the playoff started that at some stage Gerald Green would have a moment. Just at some stage in the playoffs, Gerald Green will have a game and you go, oh, oh, Gerald Green show. And he did. 
he showed up, uh, I think it was game four when they started him. Um, and he came out and, and they had a big game. He actually started the game today and only played seven minutes because uh, they were down 14 points in the first quarter. So he, I don't think we'll see too much more of Gerald Green, depending on the matchups. But it was a right matchup for him in this series. They sort of went a bit smaller, the Celtics, and uh, that sort of uh, yeah, played into their hands yeah. a bit more and, yeah. and limited the impact of guys like Robin Lopez, who was very effective in those first couple of games as well. Uh, but, I mean, overall, too, with the, with the Celtics, they only shot 34% from three in the series. So I guess, to the Houston point as well, maybe it was just due to turn around. I mean, Isaiah Thomas shot 20% from three uh, across the series, and we, you wouldn't expect him to continue to shoot that poorly. Obviously, yeah. going through some personal issues himself may have been a factor in that. So it, it may have been some regression to the mean today in terms of them hitting all those well, threes. Again, I watched a condensed game, and what I saw, and maybe this is my looking, just kind of my own confirmation bias, but why you might remember me a few pods ago where I was hoping the Bucks would play Washington in the first series is because of matchups. And the matchup in particular is the um, invisibility, um, invisibility cloak that Markeith Morris can put on himself. And he played 11 embarrassing minutes today and got schooled. And so... Um, Poor old Scotty Brooks had no choice but to ride him, you know, to ride Ubre and Jennings and Bogdanovich for huge portions of the game, whilst Jay Crowder and and Horford hit everything. So when Markeith Morris decides he doesn't want to play, yeah. he is an embarrassment and needs to be, I don't know what is that petulant. He's the king of three fouls in the minute, just coming on. Just well, he didn't. He just did. He just ran around and did nothing. He couldn't oh, play okay, an ounce. So it was just bad play. Terrible, yeah, terrible. They just uh, Boston just got anywhere they wanted to around Markeith. so he played eleven minutes, mm. right, and got and got sat. So um, that's where I go. That's what happened, I think, in Game One a bit, is that yes, Washington got up a bit early, and then they just couldn't they couldn't bring him back in the game because mm. right? he can't he can't defend a shadow. So that's for me is Washington's concern in this series. Will they be able to play enough defense? Um, to stop Boston shooters. So we'll see. But well, I think they need the, the 2016-17 plus minus champion, Jan Mahimney, needs to come back because he's still out <laughs> injured. He's up. And, uh, they, need, <laughs> they need some plus, I know. So they Kelly need Oubre, some plus from the yeah. bench. But, uh, but he does. I mean, it's just, I guess, sometimes about team balance too. They just need that those extra minutes uh, at the five that they're not quite getting at the moment. Um, as well, so I still think Washington's right in that series. I, I actually still favour them. I think they'll come out of that series. Um, I sort of agree with you. I haven't seen a lot no of Boston that I that I've liked so far. I did like Avery Bradley's game. I've always rated Avery Bradley. I talked to a number of Celtics fans, and they're a bit lukewarm on Bradley. I've never quite understood it. I think he's a he's a really underrated player. A little bit undersized. You'd probably like a little bit more height in him in terms of that the, the defense that he can bring. But uh, I thought he played a really, really good series uh, against the Bulls and was one of the factors that sort of kept Jimmy Butler in check as much as you can keep him in check. I mean, he, Jimmy Butler was still 22-7 and seven across the series, but the Bulls probably needed him to do even more than that um, if they were to, to advance yeah. um, from where they were. So, look... Interesting series, the the Wizards. Do you agree with that one? Do you sort of favour the Wizards there? Where how do you see that one going? 
um, if I didn't see today's results, I would have said, yeah, Wizards and Wizards and seven. But now that I see that, just how I'm starting to see the coaching come out, right? So Al Horford goes and has a near perfect game today, right? 21, 10, and nine, you know, misses three shots the whole game. Um, I just took advantage of matchups so much better. So Stevens, Stevens coaching and the depth of that Boston has, I think just have more, if a few more weapons, I'll say, I'm going to say Boston in seven, but it's going to, Washington's playing well and they're, um, except for I dot Mahimi, they're, they're healthy. And we've talked about all year. Well, while Wall, Beal and, and Porter are healthy, they're going to be in games and Wall is playing awesome. He had another solid game today, um, but um, I can only watch the condensed version of it. Yeah. I'll but I'm going to go. Jay Crowder hit six of eight from three. You know, Olenek, as you touched on earlier, come in and hit a couple of threes. That always helps. But I, I think if you're watching it, you're just hoping that they don't, they don't get that hot from three every game. And yeah. they're going to be very hard you to won't. beat. Any team's going to be hard to beat when they're shooting nearly 50% from downtown. So, yeah. um, and the contrast, you know, well, Washington didn't shoot too bad from three themselves, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't be too too down on the Wizards. No, I, I'm not. The, the Celtics just got hot. They're at home. Um, I think, you know, game two, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a complete reverse of that result. I just think overall, I still feel like the Wizards a slightly better team, and I think their better players are better. And I think if Wall and Beal play to their potential, I think they've they've probably got the two best players in the series. Um, maybe I'm being a bit harsh with Isaiah Thomas no, there. But... I tend to agree. Isaiah's going to get his 30, right? He's going to shoot and he's going to score. He can. He's fast, right? So he can't diminish the guy. He's led the league second or third in scoring, right? So he'll get his 25 or his 30, but you're right. He's still a, a huge liability on defense, especially the way Wall's playing. So that's why I think today is, looks like it's a, an amazing coaching job, plus just every shot was falling for Boston. That being said, right, a couple of threes, those – Sorry, a couple of Boston's threes don't go, and if um, Washington, you know, makes a few free throws, hmm. we might be having a different result already in Game One. And Boston played a, a near flawless game, but it took him to shoot forty nine percent from three. So, so we'll see, we'll see. But I'm I still say Boston in seven just because of their depth and Brad Stevens. I've just decided I'm going to go back and watch the whole game because I've seen the box score and Isaiah Thomas had a block, and I want to see who he blocked. I was gonna say I want to see circumstances were. I want to see his rebound. He got a one. He got a rebound. I'm like, how'd he get that? <laughs> well, that I mean, yeah, anyone get a rebound? He just falls. Did he go over Sadoransky or something? Yeah, or you know, maybe J. Smith fell down or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, uh, I've got to say that. All right. Well, look, we might. But I got to. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm cheering for. If I had my heart, I would say. I'd, I'd like to see Cleveland, Washington in the. I think that'll be a better finals. finals. I think that'll be, be a better finals. They're two kind of similarly styled teams. Actually, it would be yeah. fun to watch. And I think we both agree Warriors Spurs would be a much better matchup on the other side of the draw as well. Yeah, I've got my little um, my little lad Brooks on Houston, and I've, I'm expecting that money <laughs> not to pay a dividend. Um, uh, is that on Houston to beat the Spurs or to win the whole thing? To win it. Yeah, I think it's the NBA champion. It was like 18 to 1, Daz, so I thought. Yeah, no, it should have been 180 to 1. But that, that's no disrespect to Houston. That's just all the respect to the Warriors at this stage. So we'll see how that, that one pans out, the Rocket Spurs tomorrow. Um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to some of these some of these series. I, I really well, want to see Raptors-Cavs, actually. I'm 
I'm interested to see what the Ravs, Raps do there. Yeah, the uh, Raptors, uh, they went down in my – they didn't handle the pressure with grace. They were a petulant bunch of whiners, and so I, it, uh, unbelievable, right, from the take my talents to South Beach, how much I've derided LeBron. I'm actually not even so quietly pulling for Cleveland now after seeing the petulant <laughs> – I am. I, you, if you would have watched Toronto the way I did – you know, there's a way to win with with style, and they they just they don't have they didn't have an ounce of it, and except for Dwayne Dwayne Casey, right? He's a stand up guy, but the fucking DeRozan and and Ibaka and Valanciunas, oh god, I've had enough of PJ fucking Tucker as well already. Yeah, like, well, just whoa, they've okay. just assembled whiners. I'm like they're they become the Clippers East, man. It just everything was a. Oh, oh, go Cleveland. Yeah. Well, you quick heard question, Cleveland. Quick you question heard about Nodis. I mean, if if the Heat had have snuck in uh, to that eight seed, do they do they beat the Celtics? Do you think? Is Waiters healthy or not? Waiters, well, Waiters come back for the last game, so Waiters would have been healthy. No, no, I just don't think they're tough enough. I don't think they it's all due respect to Miami's fitness. I don't think they're smart enough to win four playoff games. Yeah, you could be right. I, I, could be I right. really not. No, I don't think so. Fun thought experiment, but it's, it's funny. I'm, I'm rooting for Miami now. I, don't, I never thought I'd see the day, but I just I like what they did this year. I hope they get someone in. You have to tip your hat. Make a run. You have to tip your hat, don't you? Yeah. Mm. You have. Yeah. All right, Des, okay. we'll leave it there, mate. Uh, thanks for sticking with me tonight. Um, so two part of this week. We'll, we'll be back next week. We'll break down some of the, the, the direction of the round two. Uh, we've also got, just on the horizon, the uh, draft lottery. So I know um, that's always something that we're looking forward to from a broad, bigger picture standpoint. Weeks. As well. Yeah, weeks so away. that's something else to have a look at. So, But until then, mate, uh, thanks for joining me in tonight, and we'll see you next week. See you, pal. Thanks, mate. Bye.